Kia ora. Hello. My name is Tom Miffham. I've got a message from Acts chapter 9 in the New Testament. This is the Damascus Road encounter between the risen Christ and the persecutor Saul. And this gives us a vision of conversion into the life of discipleship and of the change and transformation that happens after that. So let me do the reading and then I'll open it up a bit. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing out threats to murder the Lord's disciples, went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, either men or women, he could bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he was going along, approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So he said, Who are you, Lord? He replied, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. But stand up and enter the city and you will be told what you must do. Now the men who were traveling with him stood there speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. So Saul got up from the ground, but although his eyes were open, he could see nothing. Leading him by the hand, his companions brought him into Damascus. For three days he could not see and he neither ate nor drank anything. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he replied, Here I am, Lord. Then the Lord told him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. And at Judas's house, look for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and place his hands on him so that he may see again. But Ananias replied, Lord, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to imprison all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go because this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the people of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, placed his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, his strength returned. So I'm just going to start by walking through some of that and then we'll, we'll find our way through it. The portrait of Saul here 
his wild, fierce, malevolent, malevolent, overtaken with this hatred. Uh, his action that he takes is very strategic. He goes to the high priest in verse 2, requesting letters. Uh, this man is not simply firing off hot emotions. He's coolly systematic in his hatred. He's seeking leverage, the greatest leverage possible, so he can inflict the most damage. And God's instruction comes to him in verse 6. And it has a significant force to it. It's a strong command. But there is a sense of awakening adventure. It must be very shocking and unknown for him. But to me, it sounds like a voice that's trustworthy. And so Saul is going to the city Damascus, but Jesus interrupts him. And his very next instruction is a continuation. So Saul's still to go on to Damascus, just like his initial mission, except there is a radical turnaround between before and after. And so verse 8, his companions led him by the hand into the city. And verse 9, he remains there three days, neither eating nor drinking. And this reminds me of what it's like when you experience emotional distress, not wanting to eat. Radical change and shock sometimes does that to our body. And can you imagine for Saul this sort of utter desolation and confusion and shock that he's experiencing right now? His world has flipped up down and his, oh, it's literally gone dark for him. And yet in verse 11 we see that he's praying to me right now, the Lord says to Ananias about Saul. He's, um, he's praying, so fasting is involved. So this giving up of food and drink for the sake of prayer is not only shock and trauma that has him in this fast. He's sort of been knocked into this proper spiritual search. Verse 12, I have shown him a vision. So as he prays, Saul is receiving from God. And there's this paradox going on here. While Saul is blind, he's experiencing in a way, light. He's receiving a vision of being able to see again. His vision that he receives is structured like this. Seeing in a spiritual internal way a possible future event in which he becomes able to see in an external way again. And all of this is part of that next step, being told what to do. Often when we experience God, when God's love breaks in upon us or His glory reveals itself to us, we experience it internally. That does not mean it is only subjective. It may be quite easy to pass off religious experience and genuine encounters with God as being merely psychological phenomena or maybe delusion or imagination. But if you take into consideration the possibility of God's actual existence. And if you give that a chance, a fair chance, as far as I can tell, when you roll that idea through, you end up in a place where it's not only entirely possible, for example, that God loves the world, that God would choose to enter the world, and that God could accomplish the eternity-defining miracle that Christians say happened at the cross and resurrection of Christ. But that as well, it's also entirely possible that our internal worlds are just that, worlds. And that the subjective internal experience that we each have is entirely fair game for God to do transformative work within. And having accomplished the once for all victory that is the cross, 
It may be that the true battlefield in Christ's mission to awaken disciples and call people to enter this new world beyond the world is actually the human heart, the true battlefield, the human heart, this place of will and emotion and desire and hope. Because we're not converted just by the tangible facts, the external realities. Conversion to God is based upon Christ's historical work, but it's completed in the power of the Holy Spirit in the hidden places of each and every person, one by one. Our personal individual responses to the saving work of God. So skipping ahead to Ananias verse 14, he's protesting a bit to the Lord during his vision conversation because Saul has come to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Here he identifies in the midst of his fear what the true nature of discipleship is, the definition of a worshipping life in action. A disciple is someone who calls using their voice the instrument that we're given to make sound with, to communicate and connect with, to express that is, which is within us and with which we learn, negotiate and catalyze things in this world. And this is an active term, it's not called, but calls. A disciple lives and acts and speaks in the present and a disciple calls upon or calls on and those two words could be translated together as invoke. The Greek text is epikolomunos. It's not simply a call, it's a call with relational connection to call upon. It's not simply to call at or call toward. It's communication unlike social media where you might sort of throw it towards somebody. It's as though, in this case, there's a consistent contact between the parties, as though the connection has been continuous the whole time. And now at this point there is perhaps an increased persistence, like a gentle but committed tugging on a cord. So this relationality. And a disciple calls upon, this is the third word, your. The word your is relational. You say it actually towards someone when you are speaking to them. So this describes conversation and of course the your that Ananias is speaking of is the Lord, as in the Lord Jesus. And a disciple calls upon your name. And the Greek text is anuma, and it speaks about authority or character. It's about the fullness of being of the person to whom that name belongs, about the deepest essence of their identity. The name of Jesus and the substance of his being are one and equal. So the name of Jesus represents the full depths of God's life, power and salvation and truth. So you see, this is a very cool description of what it means to follow Jesus. I use my voice, which represents the active and full involvement of my life at this moment to consistently, persistently and steadily call upon the one who I am in active relationship and active conversation with and that one is Jesus and my prayer to Jesus is that I am calling upon the substance of his life everything which his name represents which is salvation and fullness of life and resurrection and so as we keep on we're actually seeing this 
plan that God has for Saul. He is my instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. Verse 15. So God chooses to use Saul, who's my instrument. And that word means a vessel, an implement, equipment or apparatus. And he says this to the one whom he only just recently said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, we thought Saul was strategically and coolly systematic in his violent mission. If you remember back to that beginning, chapter 9. But Saul has nothing on the Lord Jesus who has completely flipped the switch. Saul went to his allies for help. Jesus went straight to his most dangerous enemy and converted him. Also, note what a wild array of responsibilities are to be laid upon Saul. Gentiles and kings and Israel. Gentiles, this is about the fulfillment of Israel's mission, which is to be a blessing to all of the nations. Kings, this plan somehow includes engaging with worldly power to accomplish what's to be done and the people of Israel. And I wonder for Saul if this is the most terrifying, his own people. These are the ones before whom he must experience the humiliation and disgrace of this inconceivable and very public turnaround. Like, he'll be cancelled for this for sure. In verse 16 then the Lord says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Saul has this broad commission, but with a very sharp point. And that has similarities too for us in our own lives. For God calls every one of us to follow him. And when you receive a commission from God, the task and call just can't be outsourced. Like There's no doubt there's going to be help and support in numerous directions. No one's doing it alone. But to accept a responsibility in full, you must receive it completely like it must infuse into your life and you must become one with the call. And to become a chosen instrument, like how Saul is referred to here, and to lean into the distinct one-off calling and path of your life, it means you must be shaped and tuned up and refined. God's will and desire is to make you and me and us fit for purpose. And the question, the only question is, do you accept the invite? And do you accept the challenge? And that is really the beginning question and the ongoing question of life following Jesus. Will you cease your resistance against God? Will you embrace the life that you are being called by Christ to enter? So this encounter that Saul has is one-off, very specific. You don't need to experience a Damascus Road-like moment to meet God. And don't forget, Saul was a very, very unique character in a crazy one-off situation. But even for him, the Damascus Road was just the beginning of the journey. And as we've heard, the content of his calling points to this reality that his life is going to involve this ongoing process, these processes of refinement and learning and challenge as he seeks to actually live it out. And that is how we see it working out for Ananias, this disciple. That is his challenge right when we meet him here. He's not at the start of his discipleship journey. He's 
in the midst of it. And he is challenged with something new, something disturbing, a call to obedience that takes him right out of his comfort zone. Verse 13, but Lord, he protests. And yet, despite his fear, Ananias gives up his control and places his life in the hands of one who is trustworthy. And going on, verse 17, he went and found Saul. So we're called by Christ to follow him. And when we're called to follow Jesus, we're called to take up this life of discipleship where we learn and grow and leave behind some of that which is old and take on things that are not yet ours, challenges, struggles, but also new pathways of life and hope and fullness. And for Saul, he learns to call upon the name of the Lord and to put his trust in God. And because he becomes free for Jesus and for the mission of God, he changes the shape of history. And for Ananias, this disciple who pops in and yet who plays a pivotal role, you know, remember, Saul is praying and he receives this vision of Ananias, but it's not pre-done. Ananias has to say yes. He has to obey. But he always always has a choice and his choice is to say, okay, Lord, I trust you on this one. This doesn't make any sense to me. But in saying yes to Christ, he plays an incredible part in what God is doing in this world. And our call, every one of us, is to be open to these movements and moments of the Holy Spirit where God wants to come in and disrupt our lives and create new space within how we're living for God to actually move. Because in Saul's case and in Ananias' case, the hard, inbreaking confrontation and challenge that God brought through those two visions and the subsequent actions. Difficult though they were, they opened new space. And that is what God does. God opens new space. And as we become truer in our path of discipleship, calling upon the name of the Lord, remaining open to the way of Jesus, listening, paying attention, and when we start saying yes to God, Yes, yes, we will, Jesus. We will follow you into that place. We will be obedient in that situation. We will accept that you want to stretch us in this way. We will show love. We will serve. When we start saying yes, although it might be difficult and though we might be forced to leave behind old habits or ways, God will open up new pathways of life and fullness for me and for you and for all of us. And there really is no limit or end of the scope of what could happen when people like you and me start saying yes to participating with God, 
participating with the Holy Spirit in serving this world. There's no limit. We don't really know what happens. Ananias could have said no. Saul, maybe he could have said, said no. But they said yes, and things opened up. I pray that as you are going about your day or your week or whatever is going on for you, that you would be encouraged and inspired by this encounter, these encounter stories from Holy Scripture of the Apostle Paul using his new name and the disciple Ananias saying yes to Jesus. I pray that you too would be attentive and ready to say yes. And anyway, that's, that's my teaching, uh, my message, my sermon from Acts chapter 9. I hope it encourages you. I hope that in some way it's been helpful for you. And uh, may you go about your way and about your day uh, in the blessing of God, knowing that God loves you, that there is an, an incredible, endless abundance of grace in God. And despite the chaos and carnage of this world, that there is a good path for you to walk and an important role for you to play in helping to bring about God's vision for this world, this uh, this new heaven, new earth reality, this birthing of the kingdom of God. Um, so go forth, pursue Jesus with everything you have. See you next time.